When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And I'm Dylan Hafer. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in today. It's sports and prestige female-fronted dramas. We'll departure (laughs) today. (laughs) I love it. I love it. We're going to today. We're so excited to have Betches MVP Dylan Hafer here, who I know our audience does. Um, they talk to me about their love of Bravo. So if you like SUP, you've probably already encountered Dylan somewhere in the Betches universe. Um, but he's here because there's some really exciting news this week, right, Dylan? Yes, Amanda. Thank you. We have a brand new podcast called Pop Alarm that I am hosting. It's a pop culture entertainment news podcast that comes out five days a week in the mornings, little five minute episodes, just like morning announcements that Sammy does, but all pop culture themed. So check it out wherever you listen to SUP. Yeah, it's a perfect companion for this show and for morning announcements. I'm so excited. And it launched this morning, right? Yes. Uh, had, had a nice recording on Memorial Day to kick things off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was really perfect timing because Dylan and I were like casually talking about when he might come on this week during his very busy week. And then this morning I was like, tomorrow, you'll come on tomorrow. And he was like, sure, <laughs> because you are a tennis fan and just a like longtime Naomi Osaka observer. And our topic for today is what's going on with her and the French Open. And you did a, a brief update that on that this morning, right? Yes, it's it's a whole mess of things. And, you know, the tennis world is a very, you know, like weird, specific sports sector. So there's a lot of a lot of nuance to it. And I think it's starting a lot of interesting conversations. But, um, you know, definitely a really interesting conversation topic. Yeah. Exactly. So before we dive into that, I would be remiss not to offer a space to have uh, some mayor of Easttown reactions if we want them. <laughs> Uh, I'm still feeling, I'm still in my feelings about it, having watching, watched Should we it say, last like, night. spoiler alert? Oh, of course, like, spoiler, yeah. alert, spoiler, extreme, alert. spoiler alert, extreme spoiler alert. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, skip Watch ahead. the damn show. Seven <laughs> minutes. Watch yeah. it. Watch the show. <sighs> but, did, Millie, did you watch it? Did we all watch it? Yeah, I watched it. Okay. And I watched it once HBO worked. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Well, I have a roommate's, like, AT&T cable like um parents login so i had to go through the at&t app to watch it oh well, that's dedication was, yeah i know 
I heard you could get it if you had HBO through Hulu or yeah. if you had cable. But I was stuck like a fool refreshing and refreshing and being and making Danny also refresh and like having multiple tabs open as if that's not only is that not helping, it's like hurting. So yeah. the problem that it didn't because I well, we actually like left our gathering because we've like, got to go watch it. I, I fell asleep instantly, but then woke up to people seeming to have been really alarmed. What happened? It just didn't load immediately. They didn't put it up at 10. Uh, apparently so many people had logged on at once oh that God. it crashed. <gasps> yeah, yeah, like HBO Max was like struggling for a minute there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's I would interesting. Say it was like a full 20 minutes mm-hmm. of of no mare where there was supposed to be mare. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> there you go. What do you think it is about this show that like, I'm so surprised to hear that, that so many people watch this show because that's like Game of Thrones status. What is it about yeah. this show that got everybody so fixated and it, feeling so intensely about it? I think it was one of those things where it was just enough episodes that people had a few weeks to sort of catch on that it was good and realize and catch up and start watching. And I think there aren't that many things that people get excited about at a specific time anymore. Like, you know, when you want to watch whatever Netflix show, you just go on on the day and it's just sitting there waiting to be watched. Whereas like Mayor of Easttown, 10 p.m. Sundays on HBO, it's like, oh, damn, like Sunday nights, I'm going to be there. And it just was it was really good. Like I thought all it was good, the, too. All of the acting was great. I thought the plot lines, they all like tied them together really interestingly. Like, you know, it felt really satisfying at the end. So it wasn't like some of these shows like a Game of Mm -hmm. Thrones or even The Undoing where it was kind of like, oh, okay, Right. I guess that ended. It didn't pay off, really. Game of Thrones is so crazy to me because that was such a huge show. And I watched like I watched the whole thing. I was very into Game of Thrones and I feel like the ending was bad. And so as a result, it has made zero cultural impact and everyone just memory hold it like Avatar. Like no one. it, it, Mm. It was such a huge thing. And people are just like people just moved on so fast. I think for me, the like why I enjoyed Mirror of Easttown was like, you know, it's just this town, like it's showing like this actress, like in an unglamorous way and like a part of the country that like we don't really hear from a lot. Yeah. And it's just all these interconnecting like I hate to be like it shows women as messes, but it's just like, you know, it's like all of these things. And then it just has it does a good job of like mm-hmm. trauma and how like if you don't deal with your shit, like it will weigh in and fuck up like all your interactions and when things come out and how different people react to trauma. But then it also just, I think the entire theme, especially like the the ending and everything was just like how the, the bond between a child and parent and how much like sacrifice and how much they're willing to do um, for their child. And then like that whole with her son killing herself, like, that was just something where, you know, she couldn't do that. So that's why she's like sacrificing all these other things. And when she kind of reconciled that and like faced it, her life started like blooming and opening up and she started to gain more compassion for others. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I saw somebody say last night, it was like, it was like a narrative about female generational trauma, like masquerading as a true crime drama. (laughs) Right. There was so much more to it than just like, the detective lady solves the murder. Like there mm-hmm. were yeah. a lot more layers to it. And I think the finale did a really great job of kind of 
tying it all together and all this stuff. Oh my God. I felt so bad for Lori, but then I it's know. like, Lori, uh, Lori, Lori, Lori. Lori. <laughs> getting it from all ang- angles. I feel like to me, I watched it and it was like an example of how men make everything much worse and ruin everything for women. For real. And like, if you're already in a really bad situation, it's just going to compound and compound. And these poor women are just picking up all the pieces because men are weak and yes. we're weak, but, the, but we're weak too. And that's the thing. Women don't get to be weak. And I feel like this show shows what happens when like, we do have to let it down. Then obviously life implodes for everybody. My <laughs> only like mayor of East town note is that I didn't need Guy Pierce's character. Why was he there? Well, who was, who was I, to show I her softening? Like, yeah. Well, like, I think it was just somebody, it was just a vehicle for someone who's like, you don't give yourself a break. You're yeah. doing your best. You, the way that you are and the way that you're showing up in spaces is enough. And like, I know everyone's, everyone has this hardened view of you, but I kind of understand and I have compassion for you and like giving you that space. And like, I feel like you don't see anyone no, else in this. the fucking yeah. show do that. Not even um, Evan Peters character, who I kind of feel like kind of likes her because she's a fucking hates him mm-hmm. and he hates himself. You know was what that I mean? The detective, the detective that got killed? Yeah. 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 That got killed. So that, that was kind of me. I was just like, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the whole story serving, it's not like a thing, but like in terms of we needed someone to give her a break and we need, and it came through Guy Pierce's character. I just hated his haircut. It yeah. was too much for like a mullet to me. He and was just amazing like that I thought, oh, he must have done it because he plays another no other role here. Yeah, well, there was that. And I was like, <laughs> is he a red herring? But also like he wasn't red herringy enough to be no. a red herring. No. And then um, I guess I just wanted to see her grow to like him more. Like at the end, yeah, I was, yeah. like when she was like, why do you have to leave? I was like, oh, I I'm surprised you feel this way because it seemed you seemed so like. Kind well, of maybe, every scene was like her being like, I don't think we can do this. Maybe he was just a plot device to set up for the season two rom-com version, Ooh. Mayor Ooh. of Bates College. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, speaking oh. of college, I will say as someone who famously went to the University of Delaware, <sighs> the accents were really good. Yeah, they were and great. And the vibe of all the East Town people, even though they're in Pennsylvania, it's like, Delaware County, Delco. Right. He's the accent and like all of it's all of it's very close by. But um, especially her boyfriend, uh, who was who was not again, spoiler, not the father. Yeah. That boyfriend was someone I was like, I've met this guy. Yeah, totally. Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. Oh, God. The vibes are just could not be worse with Dylan. Yeah. I, c- oh, I can't. Oh, and, in, and it's true in real life as well. Dylan shows up to the party and you're like, oh, God, something's going to fucking happen. Here. <laughs> Dylan and Brianna are just like a no go for me. Yeah, no, but but both of them rang very true to me because a lot of my college friends were like from actual Delaware and like had friends that were from the area and stuff. So I was just hanging with a lot of Delco people at that time. And um, I saw some Dylan and Brianna's and uh, they are scary. They are scary. (laughs) They'll kick your ass. (laughs) Kick your ass in the woods. Oh, totally.
Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So speaking of another woman who needs a break, Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka pulled out of the French Open over the weekend after announcing she would not participate in post-match press conferences, or I think she said any press during the tournament at all, right, Dylan? Okay, I think she has like a contract with a Japanese uh, TV network that she is obligated to give them a few minutes right after, but otherwise she was like, I'm not doing anything else. She said in her initial announcement that she knew this came with a fine and she would accept that if necessary because her mental health was the priority, was the gist of what she said. It seemed like then a bunch of officials with the tournament and various tournaments reached out to her to find a solution, find out. They basically just seemed like we were like, oh, shit, we we really, really want her to do the press. Um, Tried to engage her. They claim she chose not to engage in that. Um, She says that she previously did try to work with officials to come to some sort of solution that would be better for her and everybody, whether that was this time or last time. And maybe she just had good reason to know that was not going to be a fight worth her while this time. In any event, she did, in fact, skip a news conference after her match and was fined $15,000. These would have accumulated. And that's when tournament leaders threatened to expel her from future grant. Well, they threatened to uh, default her. Like, you will face greater code of conduct violations among them as defaulting in this tournament, potentially, I think, threatening her ability to compete in additional ones. 
So she offered that very lengthy and generous explanation for why she wouldn't be sacrificing her mental health. She like made a point in that to say, I actually have a, a great relationship with reporters. I understand the positive role that press plays for the sport. It's just not something I can do right now. The Twitter account for she then was like basically cyberbullied by the tournament. And then just lots of other athletes, mostly white women athletes, I think, just said really unsupportive things about her. So the Twitter account for the place holding the tournament tweeted a bunch of pictures of other players doing press and said they understood the assignment. They literally like memed her and officials publicly opposed her stance and said that she was failing to fulfill her responsibilities. I mean, basically the way everybody was saying it was framing her as like a brat who wasn't willing to do this part of her job and that she was undermining the sport. Uh, One athlete said she tried to sidestep or lessen the problem for herself. And instead she just made it bigger. A lot of the reaction has also been, well, she just, she could have gone about this a different way. Sports journalists have called her precious and hypocritical suggesting this one was weird. Somebody said she had, created a double standard by speaking up for racial injustice, by staying silent now about what the clay on the court, like, it's not the same thing. I don't think (laughs) she wore, she, she famously like wore the names of people who have been killed by police on her, like masks, like, like, yeah, she didn't like steal the C. I mean, there there was one game that she chose not to play at a certain point, I think after Jacob Blake and Piers Morgan, like, I don't know. It has nothing to do with press conferences. Like she made her statement in other ways. (laughs) No, no, exactly. These are all just bad faith. Oh, Amanda, please tell us what Piers Morgan had to say. I wasn't sure if I should, but it's just so bad that he said she's an arrogant, spoiled brat whose fame and fortune appears to have inflated her ego to gigantic proportions. Reminder, she's 23. It's also literally so embarrassing for Piers Morgan, who's famous for being fully just like the racist British guy to say that to an athlete at Naomi Osaka's level. Like he's acting as if she's like a Kardashian who's just saying whatever the fuck. And it's like she's literally one of the top athletes in like her sport. She's number two, right? Yeah. She's number two. Well, now that she is out of the tournament, she can go have brunch with Meghan Markle and they can just be spoiled brats together. Yeah. So I'm sure Piers <laughs> is happy. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. They should just, they should absolutely just do that. Just like troll him. That'd be so funny. <laughs> yeah. So Dylan knows about sort of the sports content because as a person that is neither a sports fan nor a tennis fan, I have, I read the story and I'm like, what is their problem? But but then I have seen sort of a mixed reaction among people who I would generally expect to, I don't know, take a certain, just be more generous towards like a young woman of color standing up for herself being like, no, this is, this is the job. Do you think that the examples I've just said sort of sum up how the tennis world is reacting and what is motivating this, this anger towards her? I think, I think in some circles, yes, I do agree. The reaction has been mixed. Um, She has been met with support by a lot of other people. Um, You know, when she posted yesterday that she was pulling out from the tournament, uh, Venus Williams commented her Mm -hmm. support, Coco Gauff, uh, Sloane Stevens, who all just happened to be successful black female tennis players. um, It's probably worth noting. Um, I think, it's it's a tough situation because when people say it's part of the job or, you know, that's like what you sign up for, they're not wrong about that. I mean, it is something you sign up for. That's why there's a fine for not doing it. She, in her initial statement, was clearly aware of that fact. She said that she hoped her fines would be donated to a mental health right. charity. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's tough because when you bring the mental health aspect into it, 
just because it's part of the job, this is a larger conversation that, okay, maybe you can't do that part of your job because you're struggling with mental health or what have you. And that just because it's something that on an average day, the average player would be expected to do. If we're, if we're going to have that conversation about mental health, then it needs to be on the table that, okay, if this part of the job is detrimental to this person's mental health, then maybe we don't make them do the press conference that day. And I, I think it's tough because tennis is such an individual sport and people are kind of, you know, focused on themselves. And so I think some of these press conference answers when they're like, asked how they feel about it. It's like they're in their own little bubble. I saw another player, um, Garbina Muguruza yesterday. She was asked about it and she was like, that's none of my business. Like I just came off the court from my mm-hmm. match. Like I don't want to talk about it. I know other players have basically said the same thing. And so it's, it's tough because, you know, having access to the players for the press is a major thing and it's understandable why they are nervous about that system sort of being challenged. But when we're talking about mental health, that's not the most important thing, you know, like whether or not you get your interview soundbite with Naomi Osaka doesn't matter at the end of the day, if she's not okay. So, you know, I think it's, it's Mm. a complicated situation, especially in this system that's been unchallenged for the most part for so long, but it's like, okay, let's have the conversation now. Like it's probably Mm -hmm. overdue. I kind of feel like the way, I mean, I think just to reflect on your point of like, just because it's part of the job doesn't mean that it's like necessary or helpful. And it kind of just reminds me of like people who, you know, like the conversation we had a few weeks ago about like, why do people in grocery stores have to stand up to be a cashier? You know, like they can easily do the job sitting down and it like really, you know, but it's like, Oh, it's like, the impression is like, that's what the job is. And it's like, but why can't we revisit that for that? That's going to like help the longevity. And it's also, I mean, Naomi made a great point of like, you know, one, they're just trying to catch you, like saying something stupid, saying something controversial. You if you lost, you're like, you know, um, if you lost, you're fucking embarrassed, like you just lost in front of the whole world. And then they're asking you all these questions and you're trying to keep it together. And then if you won, like, especially as a black woman, you don't want to sound too arrogant and all this stuff, you know since since her first win when she beat serena and every like and serena had that whole fucking melt quote unquote meltdown when she like did what anybody who was upset at a referee would do you know and then like that clouded her win and she's probably fucking traumatized from that and it's just like like it's like why can't you wait a few days you know on one end i'm like on one end i'm like you know we don't want to make it so People aren't questioned. I mean, that's kind of like my whole thing like yeah. with celebrity in general. It's like, we don't want to like completely, wi- you know, go to the whims of celebrities and like, we want them to be questioned or, you know, why'd you do it this way or this and that. But at the same time, it's like, but what difference does it make a few days later or, you know, ha- like after the thing is completely done and stuff. And then it is a, a topic about like, you know, just it's that same narrative over and over and over again of like now that things are diversifying quote unquote right and there's more opportunity for women of color people of Mm -hmm. color queer people whatever it's like now you have the opportunity but as soon as you make one misstep or you don't do exactly or you're not quote unquote grateful then Mm -hmm. they go twice as hard on you and like 
it's not value, you know, and it's just like, it's just frustrating to see. And you see it in all aspects of everything. It's like pretty lame. Yeah. And I'm not like a tennis expert by any means, but I do know and have seen like tennis has a really long history of really nitpicking the behavior of the female athletes in general. Naomi Osaka, I'm sure has watched a lot of like stuff Serena Williams has gone through with her uniform and this and that, like, like it is a hard, like you were saying, Millie, it's a really hard, like tightrope to walk. And she also just went through a pandemic. Like we're all not in our best place. So maybe like, the, her ability to put that aside and do the interview that she's had in the past isn't there right now because she also has been like not having the same social life that she normally has and like is anxious. Like I have my social anxiety is heightened right now. So it makes sense that maybe like her ability to do these interviews has was just like seriously reduced to nothing. Yeah, I think that's an important po- point you both made because people that they're not just interviews. Like, obviously, I, she says she's an anxious person. So it makes sense that, like, apparently, and Dylan can my mom, she doesn't do great on clay. And that's what she's playing on in France. And so she knows they're just going to, if I lose, they're just going to ask me about the fucking clay. And then I have to get, like, upset. And she doesn't want to get, you know, caught upset on TV again. Yeah, it's tough because I think a lot of players sort of famously don't like doing the press conferences. And, you know, the questions do get repetitive and... Sometimes, you know, it's not the most fun thing to do at the end of your, you know, long day playing a match. But there's a difference when it's like, oh, like, this is boring. I'm not really in the mood. And when you're saying I have this depression or this anxiety and this is something that is actually harmful for me to be doing. And I think that's where some of the kind of like controversy is arising unnecessarily that it's people are like, oh, like, well, you know, she's setting a precedent that nobody will have to do these press conferences. And it's like people in every industry have mental health shit that they're struggling with. And, you know, we don't just see people like not going to work anymore because one person said that they needed a mental health day. Like it's, it's like a false panic, I think. Yeah. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. 
Let's actually listen to Serena Williams when she was asked to comment on this, because I actually think her response was pretty interesting. Let's listen. The only thing I feel is that uh, I feel for Naomi. I feel like uh, I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like. Like I said, I've been in those positions. We have different personalities um, and people are different. Not everyone is the same. Um, I'm thick. You know, other people are thin. So um, everyone is different and everyone handles things differently. So, you know, you just have to let her handle it the way she wants to in the best way that she thinks she can. And um, that's the only thing I can say. I think she's doing the best that she can. So that was Serena Williams responding to Naomi Osaka deciding to leave the tournament. Uh, Elise just had to jump off for time. So we will finish the show with just the three of us. I thought that was a really, that sort of mirrored what I've been thinking when I've been watching this, which is like whether or not she maybe went about this the wrong way. The reaction is ridiculous because it's like, she's still a 23 year old. Mm-hmm. Like let her have had, let her have mismanaged this moment a little bit. And that's fine. Like that doesn't have to be an entire industry of like white male sports journalists in their fifties and sixties calling, calling her names. Yeah. I saw someone point out that a lot of the time when celebrities, you know, you know, when people, you know, pass away because of mental health issues or there's some like major, you know, health scare or something. People act so shocked and so upset and all of this stuff. But when somebody, particularly a black woman speaks up and sets a boundary for herself or, you know, makes a a call like this and says, this is what I need to do to protect my mental health. A lot of those same people are like, oh, like really? She's playing the mental health card or whatever. And it's like her you know, skipping some press conferences, pulling out of this tournament, taking however long she needs is such a less dramatic thing than if she were to do something that wasn't beneficial to her. And then down the line, who knows what kind of problem that could cause. So I think it's the kind of thing where it's like, if we say that we value mental health and we respect people's, you know, commitment to protecting their mental health, it's, it's a pretty simple situation when it comes down to it. I want to ask you, Millie, have you ever been in a situation where you've set a boundary for to protect yourself to, because you knew it would be better for the outcome in the end and it was just not respected at all? Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> that's what I talk about in therapy every Wednesday, <laughs> especially, you know, especially like, you know, with dating. That's a huge thing um, with work, like definitely with work where, you know, I mean, not obviously not betches, but when I used to work, you know, different corporate situations and it's just like, you guys are not entitled to 24 hours of my day. And then it's stuff like that. It's just like where as women are, are conditioned, especially black women to not have any boundaries and like boundaries are a weakness or you're selfish or rude. Again, I, like it's just in every aspect, really, like even with family where I'm just like, no, you actually like can't talk or I'm actually going to skip this because when I when I hang out with you guys, I feel like shit, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's the same thing where it's like, actually, I'm not going to do this because doing this with you makes me feel like shit and you're not entitled to my time. And this is what I have to do to protect myself. And people don't react to that because it fucks up the dynamic that they're used to you know they want to hear Naomi be like I'm so happy to be here I'm so humble she's like no I'm the fucking greatest tennis player in the world 
fuck you. I don't have to do like yeah. what you know. I think it's just right. Just find me then. Yeah, yeah, find me. I have the money, bitch. I got Nike yeah. money. My boyfriend's a rapper. Find me. <laughs> Nike says they support her. Dylan, do you know what exactly what happened in the intervening period? It seems like I mean now the tennis the tournament's like really trying to be like we tried we tried to figure something right. out and it does sound like maybe they did but she had made her decision they and and she had said that. There was an email that came out the same day that she initially said that she wouldn't be doing press between her and the tournament director or organizer or whoever at the French Open, where she basically was like, it's not you, it's me. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful, whatever. Like, we can talk about this after the tournament, basically, because, like, I need to go focus on tennis. Um, And then when she did skip her first conference on Sunday, obviously everybody knew she was going to, that wasn't a surprise at that point, but what really escalated it was this statement that the four grand slam tournaments put out jointly, which is pretty rare. We don't see that very much in tennis that these, you know, international organizations are actually working together on anything. It's usually kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so they all sort of put out this statement that was, you know, threatening these further you know, penalties and suspensions and all of that. And it just felt like such a, so massive, such a massive overkill reaction to something that was a pretty simple decision on her part that it was just like, I'm, I'm just not going to do the press conference, you know, tell me the fine. Uh, Clearly she is good for it. And so they just escalated it in such a way Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessary and wasn't even really like, you know, it just wasn't called for in any way. And so I think that's the kind of thing where if they want to be, you know, frustrated that she's not doing press, that's one thing. But to come out of the gate so strong with that statement and all of a sudden, you know, that really just sucked the air out of the whole tournament because it's like nobody's talking about the tennis. They're just talking about is Naomi Osaka going to get banned from, you know, Wimbledon next month or something. And so it's like, It it was just so easily avoidable, but they just like pulled the trigger on this ridiculous statement. And now it's like, now they have to be like, no, 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 we support her. We just like, we just like, you know. Not when she doesn't want to do this. Exactly. It's very conditional. Yeah. It was kind of heartbreaking when she, when she announced that she wouldn't be moving forward the rest of the tournament. She was like, I didn't mean to be a distraction. And now all of this is a distraction. And it's sad. It broke my heart because she wasn't the distraction. Like, they made the big deal out of this and they, they didn't, they could have issued a statement. Somebody could have done some something. I feel like being like, Hey, if you're involved with the tournament, let's like, let's respect this. Don't take to social media. Just let's be quiet about this and let her do what she needs to do. She's 23 years old. She's going to be in this sport for probably a decade more. Like no one's allowed to just have like a little fucking blip early in their career. Like this won't matter in 15 years. And it's one of those things where it's frustrating to see the, you know, powers that be in a sport sort of not recognizing how good someone is for that sport. We see the same thing in gymnastics with them trying to sort of quell Simone Biles' greatness (laughs) at any (laughs) chance they have. It's like, these people are good for the sport. So let them be great. Let them, you know, you know, give them grace for like what they need to do to protect themselves, to be able to excel in the sport, because it is undeniably good for the sport. Naomi Osaka is by far the biggest star in the sort of younger generation of tennis players. So it's like, they're only hurting themselves by not having her around for the rest of the tournament press conferences or not. 
Yeah. There was an energy to how some of the players were responding where they just seemed pissed that like they had had to do this because they were told this is good for the sport. It's good for women's tennis. If we're like out there, like I think Billie Jean King, I can't remember. Did she react originally after she was like, oh, I'm so happy that Naomi is like speaking up. But I think she might've said something like they were just like, this is an annoying part of it, but it's important for the sport. But that's not the same for every person. You're right. Like people aren't watching tennis. New tennis watchers aren't watching like Naomi Osaka do talk about her match for 20 minutes. They're watching her match or like watching, sharing the pictures where she's wearing, you know, Black Lives Matter on her mask. Like that's good for the sport. But Mm -hmm. But they don't view it as good because it's different. Because it's a different audience, right. it's a different kind of person. It's becoming more accessible to different people, and it's change and everything. All of this shit is like, is it about? Is it about um, the actual press conferences, or is it about preserving the institution? And like, what's next? I mean, that's what. I mean, that's what. Like any anything. Anyone who's hesitant to change is like, oh, gay marriage. What's next? People marrying their dog. Like, you know what I mean? It's the same shit of like, oh, no, press conferences. What's next? Like, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's the preservation of institution and like this threat of this young girl who's like, you know, people, she's already doing so much that is so uncalled. I don't know what other tennis star had has a like a popular rapper boyfriend that like goes to all her she, matches like bringing a different the other ones are fucking hitting people in the neck yeah. with balls yeah. just last Take week she cream. was she was declared she had the highest earning 12 months of any female athlete in history well there you go so like i mean yeah, nobody's doing it fine. like her <laughs> Right. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting because before Serena said that the, the, the reporter asked her, they were like, you've generally been, generally been very cooperative with the press. And I thought that was such a loaded term. Like she's cooperated and their problem with Naomi Osaka, I guess, is that she's not cooperating. She's not doing. It's always something. I mean, that's what they were saying when Serena, like the Serena and Naomi match that like, you know, everyone was talking mm-hmm. about was that like, look at this nice black girl who's calm and also and look at Serena. She's so scary. And so this and that and this black girl falls in line. And now look at how they because it's fucking bullshit because they're always going to It's like, look, Serena, you always blah, blah, blah. And that's why, yeah. you know, and that's Gross. why Serena's like, we're different human beings. She's going to handle shit her way. I'm And Serena, isn't Serena like 20 years older or maybe 15 yeah. years older than this girl? Like, what yeah. the fuck? Right. Of course, she's going to have exactly. different reactions. And you said what, what you said is true. Like she actually, Naomi did say I that 2018 match like did traumatize her. I mean, the whole crowd was booing like against her when she won against her idol. Like and she's like, I've been having a hard time since then. I was watching that match live and it was like one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever watched. Just it felt bad for everyone involved. Traumatizing. Yeah. And so she was, she was 18, she was 20 then. And also when she went against Coco Goff, you know, and like Mm -hmm. Coco was upset. Naomi made a big deal to like, no, come on. Like you can do this. Like come talk to the press, like, and be that supportive person that I feel like she was, she got. You know, 
and and like try to show that like we're playing against each other but you know the press is yeah. not gonna embarrass or like I would you know what I mean it's just yeah so which is just such a testament to like she crazy. really was just saying like hey I need a break this tournament and that's actually all it had to be but they could not handle that they couldn't handle that she couldn't cooperate they could have just fired her, her. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Dylan. That's our show. And don't forget to follow Pop Alarm wherever you get podcasts, right? Yes. Anywhere you're listening to SUP, you can listen to Pop Alarm. Uh, new episodes Monday through Friday mornings. Uh, perfect little quick show to get your morning going. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that is our show. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Millie Tamaris. And I'm Dylan Hafer. And this is the Betcha SUP Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.